Well, and I'll say just like um, champagne at your wedding, right? If you're an alcoholic, uh, once <laughs> once you get the freedom from not drinking, the champagne's the last thing you want. You know, you don't want to become that stumbling drunk at your wedding. And so the same thing happens. Like once you start getting some clean eating, once you start having some like distance between the disordered eating and having that clear mind, the, the desire to go back is just non-existent. And so to have a, a piece of the birthday cake, um, like no desire, because I don't want to go back into that insanity. I don't want to eat a trigger food, which is typically flour and sugar, and go back into um, not being able to choose when I stop. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. I am pleased to be joined by recovery life coach, Haven Jobeck. How you doing, Haven? I'm good. I'm excited to be back. Thank you for the invite. I am so excited uh, for you to be here. Happy New Year. We're in 2023. And Haven, I know a lot of people are saying, you know what, this is the year I'm going to get this disordered eating in control a little bit, going to address it. And so I'm so thrilled to have you on. Um, you are the disordered eating expert. And I wanted to talk with you about something that everybody experiences, I think, with disordered eating. And that is this link between eating and emotions. That's pretty common, right? I mean, from what I hear from you, it's like the emotions sometimes come first and then the eating comes second. Absolutely. And as a society, you know, we eat to celebrate. So we associate happy feelings with eating, you know, or uh, we go through a breakup. And so then we associate sad feelings with eating. And so emotions and eating are very much linked. And so when does it become disordered? And so the experience I've had is that once I find that I am not able to even process a feeling without going to the food, I might have crossed that line from doing a normal society uh, reaction to having a disordered um, behavior around food. Yeah, you know what? I know I'd like to talk about your personal experience a lot because you're in recovery and you help people as a coach with this specific topic. Can we go back a little bit and talk about your patterns with disordered eating and how do you feel it was linked to your emotions and things that you were going through? I love talking about me. It's an easy topic. Um, so I remember putting on weight around the age of seven and what was going on in my family was that my parents were getting separated. Um, and I, I don't remember having feelings, but I remember turning to the food. I remember my cat disappeared when I was eight and I went into my bedroom and I ate a whole box of cookies, you know, and immediately I was trying to distract myself from big feelings with food. And that carried on for most of my life. Um, I, I gained weight rapidly. I weighed hundred pounds when my, uh, the kids that I went to school with were weighing 60 pounds and I could not get a grasp on uh, my overeating. And I always felt less than, I always felt a part of, and I was using food to comfort myself. And so food was my friend. Um, I don't remember a lot of celebrating with food until later on in my life. But I remember um, I dabbled with uh, drugs and alcohol. And that gave me a, um, a feeling of power over food. And that felt um, exhilarating for having no power and eating all of my emotions. 
um, to then being able to say like, no, I'm not going to do that because of drugs and alcohol. Um, it gave me a false sense of power. But then when I got sober at the age of 15, I immediately um, picked up uh, food and purging. And so what would happen is I would go to school and I would feel um, isolated. I would feel different. I would feel um, the lack of friends. And so what are, what are those feelings, right? Um, I would feel sad. Um, I would feel depressed. And so instead of feeling sad, instead of feeling depressed, I would go home and I would eat like piles of nachos. I would eat an entire watermelon. And then I would take medicine that would make me throw up because I couldn't do it naturally. And then I would throw up for hours and feeling sick. And so what that told me is that I would rather have like the pain of a full stomach, or I would rather have like my head in the toilet, like purging than to feel a feeling. And there, I don't know if, if normal people, um, if people that um, have like a healthy families, like, I don't know if they were just given the book on how to live life, but I didn't know how to take in a feeling, process it and let it go. Once I felt sad, I felt sad. And I did not know how to get to the other side of that feeling. And so food helped me. It didn't make me feel less sad, but it made me feel different. And so feeling mm. full is feeling different. Uh, throwing up, feeling sick is feeling different. And so I used that as a tool and I would overeat constantly. And then eventually when I got into like, um, like being 18, 19, I learned how to feel um, hungry. And feeling hungry was feeling powerful. And again, feeling hungry is a different feeling than feeling sad. And so I would choose feeling hungry over feeling sad, over feeling disappointed, over feeling anxious, over feeling fearful. And, um, and I didn't know how to take on a feeling, process it, and let it go until I started a, a recovery process and my recovery journey. So, and Haven, obviously these emotions are triggers. And I think it's probably the same, you would say the same of an alcoholic in recovery is like that we've identified certain triggers, certain feelings of emotions that are, are kind of slippery slopes. They're dangerous, right? They could lead us to acting out, abusing drugs, alcohol, and in this case, disordered eating. You talked about some of the feelings that you had that would be the trigger, isolation, or feeling alone, feeling not you, like you didn't have friends or people around you. What are some of the other more common triggers that people might feel emotions, that people might feel regarding um, disordered eating that might trigger them in order to do this? In order to do the eating, um, I would yes, say that, like deadlines. You know, um, if you have something at work, you know, and you're feeling anxious, like I'm not going to get it done in time. That's a huge trigger to want to eat. And then the, the sugar might be the fuel to like push yourself to get it done or that ability to just deny the way that my body is talking to me and saying like, I'm afraid right now. Um, traffic, right? And the uh, frustration of being in traffic, that is a great trigger to want to eat. And that's why people keep snacks in their car. Uh, late night, exhaustion, being tired, another huge trigger to want to go into disordered eating. And then maybe just when everything is quiet at the end of the day and you're stuck with the thoughts in your own head and you need a distraction and what's a better distract distraction than something that's loud and crunchy. Um, go ahead. You know, what's interesting is that when people are in 
Um, and, and the reason I ask that Haven is because I think a lot of people are like, well, what emotions are triggering? They don't know what emotion, right? Because I think the, I think the one common thing with addiction, no matter what the addiction is, is that a lot of the times people that are addicted, when we go through that process, we have a hard time categorizing what we're actually feeling. We're feeling something. It's not comfortable, Right. And we just have to escape from it. We have to do anything we can to escape from this feeling. I think the real benefit of recovery is the ability to be able to sit with those uncomfortable feelings, to be able to Absolutely. identify what's really going on here, right? Is it that I'm late or it's a traffic or is it just something else that's actually going on? To be able to sift through those feelings to start to identify them so you can start the healing process. How did you do that, Haven? How, how, how did you do that? How did you, how were you able to finally hit the pause button beyond having the feeling, right? And then doing the action that you didn't want to do? Well, the first part is going like, am I hungry? You know, like, is this food for sustenance or is this out of habit? And then realizing that it is such an addictive, um, aspect of um, a personality to want to fix it right now. And so if I'm tired right now, if I'm sad right now, if I'm impatient right now, then I want to fix it right now. And how do I fix it? You know, I fix it with food. And so to be able to say like, okay, I'm frustrated because there's traffic, you know, and so maybe I'm not hungry. And just asking myself, like, maybe this feeling isn't real. Um, doing a lot of uh, accountability and like writing down all of the food that I'm actually eating and looking at the amount of calories or the amount of uh, protein or whatever it is, you know, uh, for me, I just looked at it as breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, going, you know, I've had a healthy breakfast. And so here I am starving an hour later, like maybe it's not real. Maybe there's another feeling underneath that. And the ability to just pause and ask myself that question. Now, it didn't mean that I didn't always just go ahead and eat again, you know, but now I'm starting to create that pause that you were talking about, Damon, of is this real or am I trying to cover up something and get that uh, notorious addict quick fix feeling? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's both, right? Sometimes there's multiple things going on all at one time. I, I found one of the one of the real blessings of recovery is being able to hit the pause button, being able to be uncomfortable where we're at. I mean, this is why I believe, honestly, people in recovery haven go on to do amazing things. That's why you see top athletes, uh, you know, entertainers, business people. A lot of these people have gone through addiction struggles and come out the other side because we're able to sit in discomfort and still be able to operate our lives in some, in some cases um, and really be able to sit in it for a long period of time. The average person taps out. You know, it's like an MMA fight. I always say the average person can't handle the amount of emotional disturbance that somebody that has uh, when they're in their addiction, right? Um, so I think it's this idea of being able to identify and be able to sit with these emotions and not act out long enough in order to really actually make some change in your life. Well, and I'll say when I first started... Um eating clean and eating in a uh, healthy way that wasn't disordered, what I considered abstinence with uh, food, um, I would say these little chants like, okay, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I know like 
I will not die of hunger between breakfast and lunch, lunch and dinner, and dinner and breakfast. And that I can turn to things that are healthy for me. Like if I really think I'm dying, you know, I can drink a cup of water and that I, it is okay. And of course, some people need more than three meals and that's absolutely like a completely healthy and there's no disorder in that. But this idea that get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that just reminds me that I am having a human experience, you know, that not everybody goes through their day just um, happy, joyous and free 24 seven, that uh, feeling anxious, feeling overwhelmed, getting frustrated. All of those things are normal human feelings that I haven't let myself feel in a long time because I always had a substance to go to. And again, the problem with food is that it's not only a substance addiction, but it's also a process addiction. Like there is fun in cracking open uh, pistachio nuts. It is fun, like getting popcorn and crunch and going like this, you know, and the habit of eating that way. Like there is so much process addiction, let alone the actual uh, chemical addiction that happens with eating flour and sugar. And so there is just so many facets that have um, helped me soothe my emotions that I um, then have to start unraveling and going like, I need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When we come back, Avon, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to really dive into starting to separate out because I know a lot of people are listening to this are saying, well, maybe I'm a disordered eater. I have a lot of emotions when I eat, right? <clears throat> or it triggers loss. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're a disordered eater because everybody obviously eats and everybody obviously has emotions. So we're going to dive into kind of your process of how you started to separate this out, that actually it was disordered eating and something that you had to treat, and also some tips about how you've been able to change your life and what an amazing life you have. So we're going to dive into that when we get back from this quick break. Attention all those seeking recovery. Are you looking for a supportive, welcoming place to share your experiences and find strength in your journey? Look no further than Recovered Life's recovery check-in meetings. With several meetings held throughout the week, you can choose the one that's right for you. Moderated by top recovery coaches, these meetings are open to all avenues of addiction recovery and offer a powerful opportunity for personal growth through connection with others. RSVP now by visiting recoveredlife.us and clicking on Find Your Group. Don't miss this chance to be seen and heard. Join us at Recovery Check-In and take the next step in your recovery journey. See you there. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show. All right, we are back from that quick break. I'm joined today by Haven Joe Beck. We're talking about the link between disordered eating and your emotions. Haven, I don't want to hold back any longer. We talked about before the break, you would kind of break down the process that happened for you. And, you know, look, everybody is an individual. We're not diagnosing anybody or telling anybody what they do. They should seek professional help with this. But how did you do it? Because I think a lot of people are listening to this and saying, man, maybe disordered eating is an issue. 
how did you start to separate all of these emotions and actions that we were doing out to really find out that this is something that you were suffering from? Great question. Um, I just want to point out that if you are overweight, that does not mean that you have disordered eating. If you are underweight, that does not mean you have disordered eating. If you like to treat yourself after a hard day's work to some ice cream, like that does not mean you have disordered eating. Like all of that's very, very normal. And especially in society today, we're all so different. And so what is the, the link? Like when might it be disordered eating? And I would say for me, the biggest thing was um, that I had this desperation of wanting to stop and not being able to. Um, I was watching my weight like creep up and I would try my hardest to not gain weight. And I, I weighed normally around like 185. And then I would jump up to like 235. And then um, I would starve myself down to 190, 185 again. And then I'd go back up. And I just, I played that game with the scale forever. And I ate against my will. And I think that's the biggest thing, you know, is that when you find that you can't have a hard day without turning to the, the flour and the sugar and the food, then maybe that's some disordered eating. And so once you realize that you don't have the type of control you think you do, like, what is that next step? And so I would say the first thing, right, is you're in the right place. You've already found a recovered life. And what a beautiful thing. And there's just so many resources. The biggest, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say that I liked what you were saying about the being overweight, being underweight is not a sign of that you're a disordered eater, because I think I, I think this is the misperception. Uh, you know, Haven, a lot of times with alcoholism, too, people talk about the amount. Well, what's the amount of alcohol that you drink? That's going to determine what actually happens if you're an alcoholic or not. I find that not to be the case. And I think it's the same thing with a disordered eating to a certain degree. It's more about what's happening when you act when, when you're in that activity, right? Like so for Absolutely. an alcoholic, what happens when you drink is is really the issue. And what happens when you don't, right? Yeah. And so with the food, if you find that you have diabetes, if you find that you're having these medical issues like um, kidney stones, gallbladder, you know, then you might want to look at your food. And if you find that you don't want to have these health issues, but you can't stop eating the way you were eating, then you might have disordered eating. Um, if you find that um, you're spending too much money on food, that you don't have it in your budget, but you can't stop going out to eat because you want to get that perfect combination of sweet and salty, but you can't financially afford it. So these are consequences, right? And so maybe you enjoy your weight and maybe you enjoy your food, but you're experiencing other consequences outside of that, then you might want to look at it. And to look at it does not mean that you have to stop, right? Like I enjoy my food. I've been abstinent. My definition of abstinence from a disordered eating for over seven years now. I've released between 90 and 100 pounds. I've gone through a uh, pregnancy. Um, I've gone through two surgeries and I have not had to eat over it. I've gotten to eat like cafeteria food or I've gotten to have like um, special meals on cruises, you know, and I absolutely enjoy my food. Some of it's been fried, you know, um, some of it's still considered a dessert and I absolutely enjoy my food, but it's no longer disordered eating. And so what I've done is I've taken away the substances in my food that create an addiction. And again, that's not for everybody, but for the majority of people, sugar is highly addictive. And so in what form and in what quantity are you putting it in your body? Just like alcohol, you know, um, so, there becomes so right. an addictive I mean, response. 
absolutely, you know, this addictive response to sugar, we know this. It's, you know, look, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I can I can tell you as somebody who's been in recovery for three decades, uh, the use of sugar with people that are recovered from addiction is massive. And I have abused sugar in recovery. I have like, and, you know, it was a very acceptable thing. Matter of fact, they told you to do it when you first, <laughs> if you got into a 12 step right in the nineties, it was just like, oh, you're feeling a little like unbalanced. Or are you feeling a little too much? Okay, wrap some like, chocolate. Have this candy bar. Yeah. And they would actually wrap meetings around a, a lot of caffeine and a tremendous amount of sugar. And they would they would celebrate that. But now as time goes on, we see that that actually might be having a really bad effect. Now, at the same time, Haven, if somebody's trying to get sober from alcohol, I say don't give everything up at one time, right? Like probably not Pick a your great demons, idea. Right. <laughs> Exactly. But I like the th idea that you're talking about um, becoming aware of, hey, am I feeling this and now I'm going to go eat something, but I'm not really hungry. Can you break that down a little bit? Because that is really the root of addiction, right? I'm having these feelings. I can't deal with them. I can't really process them. So I'm going to go eat something in order for me to feel better about the emotional state that I'm in. And right there, Anything that you're doing to do that beyond addressing the emotional state is dangerous. Absolutely. And I'll just say it's much easier to identify the eating than it is to identify the feelings. And so the first step would be to take a week and don't even worry about what you're eating. Just take a week and I want you to write down what you're eating and at what time. And I don't mean like what is in the calories or anything like that. I don't want there to be judgment around the choices or the quantities or anything like that. But like, what are you eating? How much and when? And so then we get to start seeing like what the behavior is. Like maybe sugar is what you need first thing in the morning in order to just get out of bed. But we don't know that you're starting your day off with sugar until we look at it. And so what I found is um, I needed a snack in the car. And so I didn't even realize that there was something about me driving that became a trigger for me. And so what did I do? You know, then I would start making phone calls for people and saying like, okay, I'm getting into the car and I don't want to eat because I want to eat for nutrition. You know, I, I don't want to eat to numb anymore. And I was having consequences. Weighing 235 pounds was not healthy for my body. But more than that, there is a, um, a slow, painful, like soulful death that happens when I eat against my will. And we hear that term a lot, like against my will. And so think about um, in the media, when if you heard somebody did something against your will, like what do you think, right? That is a huge violation of your space and of your property. And so when I'm doing that to myself, you know, um, it is despair. And I have to live with me, like violating myself that way day in and day out and it's um, torture. And so to be able to just like, clearly see how I am treating myself and in what areas and what parts of the day I need help. I know a lot of people, their disordered eating happened around like uh, 3 or 4 p.m. And they were getting um, uh, blood sugar dips. And so they would reach for something that wasn't good for them. And once we were able to see that pattern, then we got to schedule a snack around that time to already feed their body what they needed so they could make a good choice instead of a disordered choice. And like, what a beautiful thing. And so we removed the right and wrong and shoulds. And we actually were just trying to take care of our bodies and take care of ourselves. And then we get to take care of our emotions. Yeah. You know, it's so, it's so interesting that this exploration between uh, sugar 
and processed foods in all different types of recovery from gambling addiction, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, disordered eating, even, even emotional patterns within codependency comes down to this thinking issue that people with addiction think differently, right? And not all bad in all ways, by the way. Like, I, I think one of the best things that ever happened to me was identifying that I was an alcoholic and getting help for it because there's a lot of superpowers that can emerge through, you know, through endurance is one of them. Like I, I find that I have more emotional endurance than some people. Um, I'm able to kind of stick with it. And I think a lot of that was just the process of getting sober, right? Like, so it's not all horrible after you're out of the storm. But I think one of the things that I wanted to ask you about that a lot of people say is the whole recovery process from food addiction and disordered eating. It's so scary for people because unlike alcohol or drugs or gambling, you can remove yourself from those activities fully, but you can't remove yourself from food fully in a healthy way, right? You're not going to be able to do that long-term. How has therapy and counseling and peer support groups like Recovered Life and Coaching helped you in the process of rebuilding your life in recovery from disordered eating? Well, I will say while we do have to take the tiger out of the cage, you know, not eating is not an option. There are the protein drinks and all of that, but that is not sustained living. So having a defined um, abstinence around food allows it to be very clear cut of like what is um, clean and what is not clean. You know, what is sobriety and what is relapse? And so sugar is just a huge one. And then um, unconscious eating is another one. And so for me, seeing that I need to have planned meals and they need to be um, sugar-free, sugar and flour-free for me. Um, and once I have that definition of abstinence, then I can start building up. And so having a peer support group or having a coach, um, God, that accountability is everything. And I'll say um, I was without a coach for a little while and I started um, playing around with my food, you know, and I started adding extra, um, nuts to it and extra fat servings. And I was watching my weight crawl up a little bit and a little bit. And I'm like, Oh my God, I need to get accountable. Right. And so what do like sponsors add in like 12 step programs? What do, um, coaches do? You know, it's like, it's a place to touch down and be accountable. And so I found someone that I got to be completely accountable again with and accountable does not mean shame and it does not mean discipline right? Nobody's telling me yes or no. It's just saying like, this wasn't working for me. And so let's, let's find something new. And so um, I do, I put my food on a scale. And so I know exactly how much to eat because I have a problem with quantities. Like I told you, I can eat an entire watermelon, you know? And so I have a little saying of like being a point zero hero. And, um, and so I just have like really clean food. And if I want to go out to eat and I want to have a big steak, that is a hundred percent allowed. That is not disordered. You know, if I want to get some fried Brussels sprouts, like one of my favorite things, um, cauliflower crust pizza, right? Um, all of that's like completely healthy within a well-balanced um, food plan. But how do I know it's well-balanced? Because I'll get sneaky, you know, and that's the accountability. And that's where having a coach or having a group um, is just so important. Whether you work with me one-on-one -on -one or you come to the uh, Saturday morning meetings, um, it's just such a beautiful place to say like, this is what I'm struggling with and to realize you are not alone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There are so many people that struggle from this. And I think recovery is possible. And that's one thing that I know Haven 
always says that this is possible. Even if you've tried before and it hasn't worked out, 2023 can be the year that you really have a breakthrough uh, with your disordered eating. You know, Haven, real quick, I want to ask you before we end the episode, and, and I know this whole thing about portion control, it's so amazing. We're going to do a show just on that, how you manage that, because you've got a really great system. And I think that that's a lot of the brilliance of your coaching is you figured this out. You figured a lot of the how to live life out, you know, but I know there's a lot of people that are listening to this and saying, well, that's it for me. Like if, if I go, if I do the, if I, if I admit that I have some problems with eating, then that's it. There's no more fun anymore. There's, I, I'm never going to be able to celebrate anybody's birthday. Uh, you know, it's over, it's over. And, and I I'd love for you to talk about that because you're a perfect example of life's not over. It's really just begun. Well, and I'll say just like um, champagne at your wedding, right? If you're an alcoholic, uh, once <laughs> once you get the freedom from not drinking, the champagne's the last thing you want. You know, you don't want to become that stumbling drunk at your wedding. And so the same thing happens. Like once you start getting some clean eating, once you start having some like distance between the disordered eating and having that clear mind, the, the desire to go back is just non-existent. And so to have a, a piece of the birthday cake, um, like no desire, because I don't want to go back into that insanity. I don't want to eat a trigger food, which is typically flour and sugar, and go back into um, not being able to choose when I stop. And there's nothing more painful than watching the scale go up um, when you don't want it to. You know, nothing more painful than the clothes not fitting. Like those things are not fun. And so once I associate those things with a piece of birthday cake or um, some ice cream, you know, then I realize like, that is not celebrating for me anymore. Like celebrating is some clean like fruit, you know, and actually enjoying the people. And again, I enjoy my food and I get to enjoy um, where I am, you know, and the people that I'm with and the actual reason for celebrating and not have it be tied up all into the food. And it's just such a relief because having a sip of champagne on my wedding day wouldn't be fun for anybody, you know, because I, I am an alcoholic. And the same thing, like if I, if you have disordered eating and you pick up that piece of cake, then all of a sudden it's about like, should I eat more? Should I eat less? Is anyone going to see that I got seconds and you're no longer present and, it, and it's not fun. And so I think that that's part of the important process of uh, not just finding a food plan, but actually working on the emotions behind the food is that uh, remembering that uh, we ate to cover something up. Like it wasn't fun and it hasn't been fun for a while. So let's find the fun outside the food so that life gets really big again. I love that. Find the fun outside the food. Haven Joe Beck, can you tell people about your Saturday room real quick before we close it here? You have a really phenomenal Saturday meeting that happens on Recovered Life. Can you tell people a little bit about that, what they can expect? Because what I really love about what you put together for Recovered Life is that even people who are exploring whether this might be an issue for them are welcome. Oh, absolutely. And the Saturday meeting is so much fun. And the people that show up there, not all of them even need help with food, but um, it's about food and trauma. And so we talk about how um, when we've had a traumatic event happen to us, or we've had a whole like traumatizing childhood, right, that um, that brings up certain characteristics. And there is a list of characteristics that are common for people that have been in trauma. 
And then part of being in that trauma is wanting to take care of ourselves with food and that that is so normal. And so I have a part of me, um, like an inner teenager that wants to take care of myself by overeating. And so instead of like always going to battle with that part of me of going like, stop trying to eat so much, you've had enough calories. I get to say it in like a gentle way, like the traumatized response of acknowledging going like, that was really hard. Like, thank you for wanting to take care of me, but I don't want to overeat on peanut butter today um, because I want to take care of my future self also. And so there's just this kindness that comes. And the Saturday meeting is really all about just uh, learning how to talk to ourselves with kindness and gentleness. And the word for 2023 is acknowledge. And the first thing I want you to do is just acknowledge that your feelings are real and that you feel that way and that it's okay. And of course you do. There's so much of society saying, come back to me when you feel better. And um, that kind of denial is going to keep us in the food. And so acknowledge that you feel that way and just go like, it's okay. And then from there, we can start looking at the responses that we want to do to take care of ourselves in a kind, compassionate way. So great. And everybody can join that meeting. It's every Saturday, 8 a.m. Pacific time, freedom from addiction and from food addiction and trauma. It's a one hour meeting. It's really great. People love it. So we hope to see you there. Haven Joe Beck, thank you so much for coming on the show today and Thanks, uh, talking about the link between disordered eating and emotions. Really super valuable. Thank you so much. Until next time. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life. Recovered Life is a peer support network with direct access to top recovery coaches, content, community, and quality peer support meetings that can be accessed virtually. Whether you're pursuing a 12-step program, not involved in 12 steps, spiritual, agnostic, atheist, or just trying to figure it out, you're welcome here. Sign up today and access unlimited group meetings for only $19.99 a month. And because we know you'll love it, we're offering you your first 30 days for free. Don't wait. Visit recoveredlife.us and become a member today.